Okay, beautiful. Okay, um, we're back with another episode of Foolish Ambition. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> um, featuring a good homie of mine, Jasmine. Hello. Jasmine, I kind of just want you to like get into it. Like, who are you? How do I know you? Like, a lot of existential questions. Okay, yeah. who am I? Um, so my name is Jasmine. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona originally, which is like hella random. You probably never met anybody from there before. <laughs> definitely, um, not, definitely not. But I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I just graduated from UCLA. Oh, she's smart. Um, educated. Where I studied sociology and I also ran track. Um, and so while I was there, I got really into uh, student athletes and just student athlete activism. Um, and so my best friend and I, we started a media company there called Top 5 Media that was centered just around uh, providing voices to athletes who like are very commonly stifled under the NCAA. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of my intro to the world of just like media and being creative. Right. Um, and so now I work as a project manager for two C-suite executives and under them I handle all of their personal engagements. So any kind of outside endeavors that they do from their day jobs I manage. Um, and then I also PA. Yeah. Well, tell me more about Top 5 because I knew about Top 5 because of like Lenny and UCLA and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. like, how did that start? Why did that start? More importantly. Okay, so my time as a student athlete at UCLA was less than ideal at best. Um, I think that I went through just a lot of things that athletes go through, but I went through all of them. So, like, mm. every year I was at UCLA, I had a different coach. So I had three different coaches. I was injured while I was at UCLA. Um, there were lots of like mental health issues on my team. Yeah. Our head coach was super racist. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. everything that could have gone awry like happened while I was there. Oh, okay. um, and so because of that, I grew up in a household where my parents told like, my parents were never like, we're big, you're little, like you can't say anything. So I was always allowed to question things. I was always allowed to kind of like figure things out. Speak your mind, yeah. Speak my mind, have an opinion, and be bold and like confident in that. And so when I was at UCLA and all these things were happening, I was like, yeah, this is not gonna work. So I was constantly like going in, having meetings with coaches. Like a lot of my teammates were struggling really severely with their mental health. Like some of them tried to like commit suicide. Like it was really bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was in and out of my coaches' offices having meetings with them. It all kind of boiled down to like me and my coach were in this office and we were like screaming at each other. I left and then he like tried to take my scholarship after I had like this conversation with him about how our team, how our coaches weren't being held accountable for the way that they were treating us mm. as athletes. Um, and so I wasn't scared though to lose my scholarship. I definitely coming from a place of privilege because my parents had resources for me to like go to school somewhere else if I wanted to. So mm -hmm. I was like, can I cuss? Yeah, I, I was like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, y'all can take all of my stuff. Like, I don't care. You can't treat people this way. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, I'm just not about it. And you're so not your gonna moral do it. code. You weren't trying to search up your moral code. Yeah, yeah, I was like, you're not about to do it while I'm sitting here. So that was kind of like very small scale, like my story at UCLA. And so from there, I was like, well, not everybody is going to feel as bold as I am to just yeah. like walk in and just like say whatever. Like, yeah. I did not care. I probably would have done it a little differently now, but I, at the time, did not care. Um, and so I wanted to create a platform for athletes to have a voice 
and I wanted them to have a voice and they were going to do it under me so that they couldn't get in any trouble for it. Uh, yeah. Um, because the NCAA rules are so specific and just like the intimidation factor of mm -hmm. just like, you can't talk about anything because whatever, whatever. Yeah. I was like, the only reason why they're allowed to treat us this way is because they don't know about it. It's like our parents don't even know the way they talk to us. Like nobody knows. Um, and nobody knows the experiences that we have. So that coupled with just experiences on campus of like, we call them NARPs, but it's not a demeaning term, but non-student athletes. NARPs, um, oh my God. <laughs> we okay. call them NARPs. Um, so non-student athletes, just like the way that they would approach like my friends that were athletes, the way they would approach me, like mm -hmm. we'd be in class and they would be like, oh wow, you are smart. And it's just like, like chill out. Yeah. So that, and then also I was um, at friends with some very like, high-profile athletes, I guess, at school. And so, like, uh, after one of the Sweet 16 games, UCLA made it to Sweet 16, they lost a game, and I remember, like, people commenting under my best friend's pictures, like, kill yourself, like, no whatever, whatever. And I was just like, all of this collectively is too much for me, and so... Let alone I mean, for your friends, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, we need to create a platform so that athletes have a way to express their stories and express their voices and feel comfortable doing so without, like, the reparation, not the reparations, the um, repercussions. Repercussions. Yeah. Of like the NCAA and the school and the entity. Yeah, it's really intense. Like I'm a basketball manager back at school, mm -hmm. and like I see what my like my two best friends go through. Like one's on the men's team, one's on the women's team. It's just there's a lot of pressure to perform well, and then to expect it to go to practice every day as well as go to class every day, and like keep up with their own personal workouts and just. In, and they have to be like censored on social media and like it almost to be honest feels a little like slavey in that sense it's you know it's a lot to manage for sure and I think especially at UCLA which is known for just like winning yeah like in the, everything in everything academic in school sports, yeah. and everything it's just like it's so bad um and so it is very slavey yeah. Um, but people aren't ready for that conversation. Yeah, I'm definitely like, not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when we want to have an honest conversation about the draft and how like they sit and measure men from like their fingertips and like then this white man goes on stage and is like, oh my gosh, we picked one. Yeah. And then all the black people cheer because yeah. he got picked. And then in the middle, his dream came true and they trade him and everyone's like, yeah, it's just Yay. super, it's all a little twisted. But I think what you're doing with top five is really important because I know that like if my athletic friends like if my friends that you know have to abide by NCAA rules like knew that there was a platform where they could kind of speak their minds safely or like just, mm -hmm. just submit how they feel and it be talked about I think they would definitely feel this sort of like, maybe even sense of relief definitely like, there's a there's people that understand me because I think a lot of athletes feel like they're not understood or that they're confined in this box of I have to just be an athlete well, I think it's very systematic too. So I do a lot of research on the NCAA. I talk to lots of people about it mm -hmm. and obviously having lived it, I mean, the schools are designed in a way that they isolate you from everybody else. Mm. And it's done very purposefully. So it's Even like- where you live. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like when you go to UCLA, for example, if you've ever seen the campus, it's like the top of the campus on one side of the hill is where all the students live. Then there's all of the athletic facilities. And then like far from that is all of the academic facilities. And so they put all of the athletic facilities in one place, they put your academic center, they put everything in one area so you don't go where anybody else is. Yeah. So you're only around athletes all of the time. Yeah. And then I think the NCAA specifically does a really good job of making it seem like it's an institution issue instead of a systematic issue. So um, 
It'll be like, you, me and all my UCLA friends will be sitting around and we're like, oh, UCLA, UCLA is a problem, UCLA is a problem. But then you go and talk to somebody that goes to wherever else and you're like, oh, you're having the same problem. Mm -hmm. So top five's kind of aim is to serve as like this hub of like, I mean, it is an institutional problem in some aspects, yeah, but totally. it's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can definitely like submit anonymously onto top five. We have lots of different like content types. Um, for people to digest, but that's kind of where that stemmed from. Wow, I really love it. And I think that's like super duper important, as you said, as I said and everything, but how do you feel, like you as someone that's an athlete, how have you kind of embodied your creative side while being an athlete? Or where was that difficult? Where were you able to do that and not do that? So I think for me, the experience was a little different. Growing up, I was super nerdy and like dorky, and I didn't really hang out with athletes like that. Or like if I did hang out with athletes, they were like super creative. Like my best friend's an artist and she paints and she has all these different mediums. And my other best friend, he like designs clothes and he raps. And so like we all ran track, but like what we spent most of our time doing was just like playing around and like yeah. playing with things. So the first time I was ever really only like around the athlete was when I got to UCLA. Mm. Um, and so that was an interesting experience for me because I never really labeled myself as like a creative because I was around people that like were tangibly very creative. Like I don't paint, I don't draw, like I don't sing. So I never thought of myself as being a creative until I went to school and I was around people that hadn't really explored other facets of the world. And I was like, oh, I'm a little different. Mm -hmm. Cause like I think about things like, I like to sit around and watch documentaries all day. <gasps> Right? I do that all day long. Yeah, and so it was like, like I read four books. <laughs> no, facts. So it's like if I would tell people that I was reading documentaries so that I was reading, they were like, oh, you're smart. And yeah. It's like, huh? I was like, doesn't everybody do that? Like, yeah. this is weird. So um, I think for me, I definitely explored more of my identity as like the athlete mm -hmm. at UCLA in ways that I hadn't before because before I was just like this nerdy girl. I used to wear bow ties to school no, and I was like, I Where? did. I did. I like around your neck, or yeah, like around my neck. Like I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was. I, I used to get shoes. Like we couldn't afford super nice shoes and stuff when I was younger. So I used to get shoes and I would just like color all over them. Like I, I just expressed myself that way. And yeah. so that doesn't usually fit in with the jocks. So I was not at the cool kid table. <laughs> um, and so like I said, I got to UCLA. Definitely delved more into this identity of being an athlete, but I still felt kind of like an outsider because mm -hmm. I wasn't fully able to kind of express myself in ways or be around people that express themselves in similar ways. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was really important to find like a good, like two, three friends that understood me, even if they didn't like the same things as me. Yeah. They kind of got it. Or just even understood that their life is more than a sport, you know? Exactly. Like there's things beyond that you can push yourself in different directions that isn't just like in the weight room, you know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Yeah. So that was like really vital for me. Um, and then mentorship was a big way that I kind of like found myself outside of my sport mm -hmm. um, and so having mentors and just being around other people that weren't athletes um, I think is really important and then I got um, a psychologist which is important to mention when I turned 19 so after my sophomore year at UCLA because mm. I went home and my mom was like yeah Something's wrong with you. that's exactly what my mom said too she's like yeah she just feel like a difference in my just my mental, I was just like not as joyful or just not as like, you know, excited about creating or the world or anything. No, exactly. So I went home, my mom's like, something is wrong with you. I went to see a psychologist and one of the first things she told me, she's like, Jasmine, when you have a table, you can't only have one leg on the table. Mm. So she was like, you you have a table with one leg. It's not a stable table if it only has one leg and yeah. your one leg is your sport. So she's like, you need to add other things to it. So I tried to join clubs. I tried to just like, 
being around other people. Um, and now that I think I've graduated, so I stopped running after my junior year. So my senior year at UCLA, I was like a regular student. You just dropped, you, you just dropped track or were you redshirted or like? Okay, so I finessed track. <laughs> so, um, I wasn't on the team, but they were still paying for me to go to school. Okay. Um, just because I knew things that they couldn't allow. Like, I just knew yeah. too much. For, it was much safer for them to just keep paying for me to go to Yeah, school. exactly. Um, so, like, that year at UCLA, I think, was really pivotal for me in terms of, like, starting the exploration of, yeah. like, myself as, like, a grown person. Because now I was, like, I only have these things that I used to do when I was 16 because I went to college when I was 17. So, like, Why'd I you go to college for young? Because I started school early. Oh. Yeah. So, I had, um, I turned 18 in the middle of my freshman year. Okay. At UCLA. So, all I had was, like, this framework of me at 16. So, now yeah. I'm 20. I'm like, I think I like these things, but I haven't played with them in four years, and I'm yeah. completely different now. Um, so I think being in LA is really helpful, and just like... What do you think of LA, coming from Phoenix? I like it. Yeah? I hated it at first, <laughs> but I don't think it was LA's fault. I think it was where I was. Yeah. Because I don't think UCLA, like if people from LA don't classify that as like LA. Yeah, because you're like, you might be in Westwood, and you're like in that kind of Beverly Hillsy area. But like UCLA is just very specifically a school, yeah, full of like people from all over the world. Like your Asian population there is huge. Forty two percent. Forty two percent. Forty two percent. That's huge, huge. That's yeah. a huge. That's huge, huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like or just in any ethnicity, like it's just pretty uh, a melting pot of people. And LA is too, but the area that you're in, in LA is like pretty fancy. Yeah. So and I think that coupled with like I was around lots of people that were acting the way that they thought LA was supposed to be. Uh, so it's like, when I started to meet people that were actually from LA, I was like, oh, like LA is really dope. And they started taking me to like places where they would go growing up. Yeah. I was like, this is way different than me being around people that like think that they know LA. So now they're doing all of these things to act like they're from, from LA. LA and it's weird. I think people <laughs> associate LA <clears throat> with money. I don't think they associate LA with like, um, CJ's Cafe and like Simply Wholesome. These are just like places, more dominant places in like more center LA. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I think people just see LA for the glamour and Hollywood. They don't see like the gang violence. No, 100%. And they don't see like the, you know, that you can still find places for like a dollar taco and stuff That's like that, you know? So I think it's just all a matter of perspective, but for someone like you to kind of just into it I'm sure it was a little bit like a whoa well I like I wanted to live LA for a really long live in LA for a really long time because growing up I was a super big I future fan <gasps> and future. so which is another reason why everyone thought I was weird because I was like an odd future fan oh my god so like um I used to watch Loiter Squad and like I wanted to I remember when Flog Now first started I went the second year because I moved here after it started oh, really? third year, second oh, year. Yeah. Um, and so I went to Florida when it first started, like I was deep in like the odd future that is game. so funny. Like, and so I always wanted to move to LA because I like this idea of just being someplace where like all of these things stem from. So yeah. my brother grew up listening to Dom Kennedy, so I started listening oh, to Dom yes. when I was really young. I remember when Crenshaw came out, like rest in peace Nipsey, like I remember all those things. So like to me, I was like, oh, this is where I want to be. Mm -hmm. Cause this is where all the people that I like and that I look up to are from. Right. And like where I'm from, we don't really have culture to pull from because the city itself just hasn't developed yet. Yeah. So it's like, that was my only frame of reference was Los Angeles. So I was like, if I want to be 
in spaces where people might understand me and where I might have a chance to just like delve into things, like that's where I have to be. So when I came here, went to UCLA, fantastic school. I would not have gone anywhere else. However, it's not LA. Yeah. So now that I live in like central Los Angeles, um, I love it. So kind of what's what's next for you now that you're done with sports and you're kind of being able to focus still on top five and just like you working in PA and kind of like what's next for you? What's going on right now, I guess? Um, so right now, I, I don't know. I think I just explore lots of different things. I yeah. think I used to have and used to always want to have a plan for everything, but mm, like- That's me. That's just like not my personality. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what I am doing right now is relearning things that I learned growing up. Mm. So I'm working a lot on just like my personal self and like my perception of things because like, I think that I spent a lot of time trying to make myself something that I wasn't because that's how people told me that like things had to be. Yeah. And so I'm not the person that was just gonna like, I was not gonna be able to do a nine to five job. Like that was not me. And I knew that. So I was like, let me figure out ways that like, I can make it happen outside of that because that's not my personality. I'm gonna get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like I know I am. And so it was just like that versus like when you're around lots of people that are all kind of figuring their lives out yeah. and like they have a certain level of stability, it can be really difficult to kind of be around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me right now, it looks like a lot of prayer. It looks like a lot of booking jobs and saying yes to things. It looks like a lot of just like, I think people sleep on networking laterally. Like everybody wants to network with like the CEO of the company. But like for me, it's really important to just like go out and meet other people that are like me. Mm -hmm. And then we can get there together. Yeah, and build those like relationships kind of from the ground up because... When it's you and the other intern, you and the other intern are going to remember, like, remember your intern? Yes. Like, and you guys are going to go into different places, different, like, parts of life, but you'll, you guys have been coming up at the same time, so it'll always be, like, that connection and that memory of, like, remember we were doing this together? Even, like, me, you, and Lenny. No, like, facts. Like, we'll intern together, and we'll, like, we'll, <laughs> we've already PA'd and worked together, just been like, oh my god, guys. Like, remember day. when? We were all at SneakerCon and we had no money and we didn't know what we were doing and we were all just wandering around wandering and I had all this stuff in my car because we were already sweating before 9 a.m. <laughs> like it was just I think I love the hustle and the grind and like the gringiness of being an intern. 100%. I'm not trying to be an intern forever. I feel that. <laughs> but like I love the fact it's this like pivotal time of just fucking around, trying a bunch of shit and like just you know messing around honestly but in a fun networking way like this is a time where you talk to everyone you email everyone about how grateful you are that you got to meet them Mm -hmm. you know you share those experiences you just continue to stay in contact with those people and kind of just watch things flourish from there 100 percent. and so i think like post-grad for anybody is just like really humbling Mm -hmm. because i think especially at a school like ucla it's like you get out, you're like, I should have this and I should have that and no one cares what you think you should have. And so um, it's definitely like you have to put your entitlement to the side. Like I think that when you go to like big schools or you grow up a certain way, you have a sense of entitlement that you don't realize. Mm -hmm. And then like you get out in the real world and you realize no one cares. No one gives a fuck about you. You really have have to make things for yourself because no one's gonna do it for you. Yeah. I think it's a brutal awakening that I hope people figure out while they're still in college, still in high school. Because, um, like you, like when you first graduate, it's like that, like, okay, world, where's my $90,000 a year <laughs> job? Like, where is it at? Facts. And it's just like, 
was like, it's four years away. Yeah, yeah, that's where it's at. It's definitely a weird like transition, even being able to focus on what you want to do and still like make money. So I think that's a lot of things like our generation trips out over is money. Like, we're like we need money now. I need to be rich. Because you see people like the Kardashians. This is what we talked about the other day. Yeah. What Gary Vee said. He's like, why are you comparing yourself to a fucking Kardashian? <laughs> like, he's like, you're not a Kardashian. You're not some rich kid from London. Like, your grind has to be different. Like, appreciate the fact that everything you do has to be honest living. Has to be, like, genuine hard work. And watch you flourish. Like, as long as you had a $60 million loan. <laughs> a small loan. A small loan. <laughs> well, being broke builds character. And oh. I don't think that people get that. Yeah. So, like, I think my life has been interesting because when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. In the middle of my life, we got a little bit of money. Yeah. And now I'm back to being broke again. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this reminder of, like, I remember when I was younger how innovative and how much fun and how much stuff we had to figure out because yeah. we didn't have money like that. Mm-hmm. And so being broke, I know no one wants to be broke. Literally, no one wants to be broke. Mm-hmm. But it builds character and it builds hustle. It makes you do things that you didn't think that you would do. It builds some creativity. It builds so much creativity. Because <laughs> you're just like, I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. So like when I look at my pantry and there's random ingredients, I'm going to make this rice pasta and this tomato sauce taste like a meal. Yeah, like, it's going to Yeah. And so I think people sleep on that. And the, like the lessons that come from being broke or just like not even struggling but hustling like mm-hmm. I think honestly going back to LA like that was one of the things that made me fall in love with the city is that like everybody here has a story everybody here has a hustle mm-hmm. and I like that I like no one's just doing one thing if you're from here Mm-mm. like if you are born and bred Los Angeles and I'm not even talking about Beverly Hills Los Angeles I'm talking about if you are born and bred like Miracle Mile South Central like like Slauson area like if you are born and bred California like or LA that you have at least 10 things going on yeah like and I like that I like being in spaces where like people always have something that they're doing and they always have something that they're working for even if it's not working mm-hmm. they always have something that they're working for yeah there's just this there's this hustle <laughs> even like in the musicians you know like there's so many people that are trying to be rappers on here but you can you can definitely pick and choose which ones are gonna make it mm-hmm. not even by like how good they are just how much work they're putting in you know, like, how many shows are they doing with so much, like, you can kind of just, there's, like, this energy about LA where you can just feel people are working hard, people are Definitely. Yeah. And so I really like that. Um, but yeah, so I like the city. It's crazy. I don't remember what we were talking about before I went on the I know. I mean, we were talking about top five, and I just right. love the idea of that. I just love that that exists. I wish it was an app already, so it's like... So the issue that we were having with Top 5 is that when we first started it, we couldn't get any money for it. Oh, interesting. Because of the NCAA. Uh, And no one kind of wanted to mess. No one wants to mess with that. No, because if... I mean, at that point, if we got money for it, we would have lost our scholarships because it was a violation. Right. And so it was just like, that wasn't a rope that like, my parents can afford for me to go to ASU, they can't afford for me to go to UCLA. Yeah. So it's like, for me, it was like, if I'm really gonna take the stand and be like big bold, like I'm gonna have to go back home. Yeah. Because they can't afford, like. Yeah, it's a lot. UCLA, out of state is 65,000 a year. Oof. Like there's no way. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of limited a lot of like our mobility. And we started it when we were really young. So it's like, I think if you go through like our Instagram, you definitely see like the growth, and the, growth the transitions of us just like as people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it started off as this thing that was like for everybody else, but then it became really therapeutic for us. Mm -hmm. And for me now, I think sometimes I have to take a step back from it because sometimes it brings me back into spaces that like hurt like mentally that mentally are a lot and so it's like i'm still like healing from a lot of the things that we're talking about yeah and so when i'm removed from it i'm able to kind of like process it in my own time but when i'm like in it yeah it's difficult to like sit with and i guess i mean that's something that a lot of creative people deal with it's just like when you're in it you have to cope right away yeah there's also like this obsession i think creatives get when it's a project or something that they're passionate about like Every, they treat almost every project like a baby. You know, mm-hmm. like there's like, oh my god, it's so precious. I love it. I need it. Like it's mine. And you kind of just really dive into it too deep, and it's almost like you're kind of losing who you are beyond it, beyond the project, beyond what's going on. So what you needed, like you taking a step back and kind of just being like, okay, let me process this <laughs> as like someone that went through it before I can kind of like help people go through it because it's a lot. Like being an athlete, it takes a toll. Like, I think, I think, do all athletes have to have, like, mandatory therapy? No. Is it not, is it not mandatory? No, we don't have therapists in UCLA. Really? We have, like, a psychological center, but it's, like, it's not encouraged that you go there. Oh, see, I feel like that's something that should be encouraged. I feel like that needs to be on some weekly basis. I like, so the go. issue with these things is that it's a great idea. However, in practice, it's never executed the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. So like we got a team psychologist um, because our team's going through a lot. Yeah. The psychologist said the coaches are the issue and they fired the psychologist. Well, yeah. So then that's where it becomes like difficult for us when we're like problem solving. Cause it's like, okay, we have all these things, right? That we want to fix, all these things. But it's like, because we lived it, we know the way that like the system operates. Yeah. And so, like when you're in, but I would have these conversations with my coaches and I'm like, we're like 17. Like they create like these personas similar to how they just like do to black people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like a track team is predominantly black. Like they create these personas of us as like being a, like super grown, like responsible, competent adults and not like 17 year old kids. Yeah. And so because of that, it becomes really dangerous when we're trying to like implement different things. Cause like, yes, we should have therapy, but who is going to regulate the therapy? Because I don't want UCLA regulating the therapy and I don't want the NCAA regulating the therapy because then it's just like going to continue to force and push rhetoric. Right. Um, and that's like where we always fall into like these issues. Cause it's like, okay, even if your coach sees that there's an issue on the team, if it's going to be like you or them, it's going to be you every time because yeah. they have families to take care of. Mm-hmm. And so it's and at like, the end of the day, you're in their job. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's this like difficult thing where you're trying to figure out how do we create a system where people are not, where people are the product, but like, why are we treating them as a product and not like a person? person, Yeah. These are young kids too. I feel like, like what you're saying, people tend to forget that like, there's a lot of time going on. There's a lot of time on people's hands. There's a lot of time for these kids to explore other avenues of their life beyond, you know, being a athlete for free and okay i know this is pretty off basis of like quote unquote creativity but how do you feel about when people say like oh you don't deserve to get paid because you're here for free like you're in college for free well (laughs) um there are 600 athletes at ucla i think maybe 100 of them are on scholarship on full ride scholarships 
Most people that are athletes are not on scholarship. They don't get paid anything to go to school. Some of them have to take out loans to go to school. And so I think it's another thing where it's just like, the NCAA is such an interesting system because it's like we talk about like propaganda and rhetoric all the time. And I was a sociology major, so like I study systems of oppression. I study just like society and the way that these things kind of affect people. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see it from like a different lens. But like if you want to have a case study on like propaganda, rhetoric, like fake news, the NCAA is fantastic at it because they've convinced the entire country that 17-year-old kids that have been training, mind you, for like 10 years. So it's like, I started running track when I was 10. I finished when I was 21. Mm -hmm. I trained in 11 years. I'm not an amateur at what I do, number yeah. one. So they've created this word called amateurism under this like prowess that we're not competent and that we're not experienced in the things that we do. Some of my teammates went on to the Olympics. They were winning national titles, like they're world record holders. It's like, we're not amateurs at what we do at all. Mm -hmm. um, and there's again, the misconception that like, athletes are on scholarship yeah that's a big thing a lot of athletes we still have to apply to school yeah like you don't just i mean some athletes do just get let in i'm not going to say that that's not true but like a lot of athletes still have to apply to go to school yeah like so i mean it's just false information now do i think that like athletes deserve to get paid i agree i do think that the system of like how you pay them is different mm -hmm. um because it's like me as a track athlete, like I don't think that I deserve the same amount of money that a basketball player gets. Right. Um, and so that's kind of when you get into the nuances of the conversation where it gets a little difficult because everybody's like, well, how are we going to pay all of them the same? It's like yeah. you're not because I as a track athlete shouldn't get the same. But yeah, it's also who's bringing in the most money to school. And that's another thing, like being an athlete, your sole job is to listen to your coach and then you play a game and then like... I'm thinking specifically, maybe let's just say for basketball. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you have practice, stand here all day, you go to class, you have practice, oop, again, and then, oh, if you do that five days in a row, and you have a game. And then you have your game, you get yelled at because you don't play well, or you get yelled at because you play well, regardless, someone's getting yelled at. <laughs> you watch game tape, they basically just talk shit about you during game tape, and then you do it all over again. I just don't see how that could be good for someone's mental health, or even my friends that are athletes, and have like this creative side of them, like this like desire to create stuff and just build, and just you know, go to concerts and you know, maybe throw their own concert one day, you know, yeah. like start their own clothing line and just feel so limited because of a sport. Like I just don't see how that could be good for your health. I think that there's a few elements to that. So one, as an athlete, I think that People think that it's a college athletics problem, which it is, but it's an athlete culture problem at large. Like, as an athlete, you get groomed from a very young age to be and, like, think about yourself a certain way. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to talk about, like, the self-worth issues that you have as an athlete and how dependent it is on the way that you perform. So because me as an athlete, like, when I was competing, whenever I would finish running, like, whatever the clock said, like, that is how I felt about myself. That is how I felt about myself until I ran again. Regardless of like if it was good or bad, like that is how I felt. And so when that is like the basis of the way that you feel about yourself, when like ever since I was 10, I've been told just listen to your coaches, like they know what's best for you. Even when they're doing things that are harmful to you, you've grown up in this world that kind of teaches you that like they're this authority figure that like you always listen to, which is always respect, even if they're not doing the same to you. Yeah. And so when you grow up in this space, 
and you get to college now you're all by yourself so yeah. it's like your parents aren't there to protect you so like for me i was blessed like my dad went to all my practices like my parents were very involved when i was younger but then i went to college and there was no one there to like step in and guide, you, yeah. and guide me when something was out of line on my coach's behalf or on my behalf um it like puts you in this bubble where you're just like okay well if i want to win and i want to be a champion i can only focus on this because that's what everybody teaches me that i have to do because if I don't only focus on this, then I can't be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like a big aspect of the like not being able to explore other things. Yeah. You're just like, and then you're again isolated, so you're only with other athletes all the time. And all the athletes, it's like we're all just sitting around staring at each other and complaining about how our hurt. Yeah. Um, and so that's why when your mental health can kind of go awry, it's like difficult to have like conversations or find help. So like for me. I got really bad depression and anxiety related to track. So like the reason why I stopped running is because I used to get panic attacks at practice. And so like in the middle of my reps, like I would hyperventilate, like I would throw up. I started throwing up in high school as like a nervous tick mm. from track. And then when I got to college, it stopped, but I started doing it again because like it was just so stressful. Like I could not walk Crazy. past the track without like literally like damn near fainting. And so my very last race at UCLA, uh, it was against SC. It's a really big meet. That's our biggest meet of the year outside of like championship season. I stopped running in the middle of my race. I was a hurdler, so <laughs> I came off a hurdle six and I just stopped because I was crying. Like I couldn't see the hurdles. Like I was like, I'm not going to do this. Like what am I doing this for? And I stopped crying and I sat in the middle of the field and not one of my coaches came to like ask me if I was okay. And so as I was like transitioning out of that, it's like damn like these people that are supposed to care the most about me take care of you take care of me and now this is like my third coach is like all these people that keep leaving like i'm third coach no one cares no one's coming up to talk to me i've been like having panic attacks at practice all year no one cared so now it's just like what do i do and who do i talk about this to because if i go and try to talk to somebody that's not an athlete they're not going to understand yeah but if I talk to it to one of my teammates, they're gonna be like, no, just stick it through. Yeah. So who do I talk to? Day, everyone's trying to win. It's just like the sub-athletes will push down everything you let yourself bring up. Mm -hmm. You know, just because of the like the passiveness of I don't want to get in trouble. I just want to run, get uh, get a scholarship, and graduate. Boom. Like well, I want to. They have these goals of reaching the NBA. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, they're reaching like, certain goals that they have you know, will let themselves face a lot of abuse and like bullying and just issues to get there because they think I think a lot of people think that making it and once you hit that you make the NBA whatever the draft happens whatever it's just like I'm set for life all, for my, sure. all my problems <laughs> are going to be done because I got money now for you know sure. I think people that's uh, again our generation really sources money as the end of all problems mm -hmm. I think the issue too with that though is that like we're taught as athletes that like the like grittier that you are, like the dirtier that you get it, like the more that you go through, like that somehow validates your experience more mm. and somehow makes you more qualified to be this person than somebody else. And that's not the case. Yeah. And so, um, you know, top five, one of our biggest things like on our list of values, for me at least, it was like, I don't want to just talk to people that win lots of championships. Because championships like are not all about hard work. And I wish people would stop like presenting that ideology that it's like you just work really hard and then like you get it. Mm -hmm. 
Because I worked really hard. Like, I worked my ass off. Yeah. And it didn't come because the situation wasn't right for it to happen to me. Right. Um, and I know the same case for a lot of athletes. And so it's like teaching these kids that, like, you don't have to go through a lot. That doesn't somehow put you closer to the goal. So it's like shows like Last Chance You, like, I hate that show. Oh, Last Chance You. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what do you think? Why do you hate it? Because I hate this idea of, like, like exploiting a child's emotional trauma to somehow get the best out of them. Mm. And so it's like, I hate also when we act confused when like football players are like hitting their girlfriend or they're like speaking derogatory, like derogatorily to people. And it's because they, that's like when you grow up as an athlete, your coach, not to excuse that behavior, it's not okay, but your coach, the way that they talk to you, that's the person that's supposed to care the most about you. If they're screaming at you and telling you that you deserve to go back to the hood if you don't do this mm-hmm. or that like you're so fat you're never going to be successful or they're hitting you a lot of coaches like hit their players and stuff like that that's the way that they perceive love and that's the way they perceive somebody cares about them mm-hmm. so i hate shows that like exploit their emotional trauma like last chance you literally that coach would yell at them and be like yeah that's why this happened to you and that's why your daddy did this and whatever whatever and it's like you can get the best out of people without having to like torment and abuse them. Yeah, I don't think people really agree with the whole TLC. Like, you know, like it really just takes some tender love and care because I think that if anyone on this planet is more fragile than that, like yeah. their whole life is on this pedestal of performance, you know? Honestly, artists too, like people in general that are creative or in a field that in a field of passion, anyone in a field of passion mm-hmm. it has put themselves on this pedestal of I need to perform to do well for me so I can have this, that, and this. There's always like a little bit of a step one, step two, step three in someone's head of where they see themselves going. Mm-hmm. So for the people that help you get there to just not be as supportive as you need them to be and more on the abusive side, yeah. you only see that as like, this is them pushing me. I think people get that confused like pushing and abuse 100% you know like oh I'm pushing you to be a better person and to be better at your craft like no I'm abusing you to get where I need you to be for myself for myself exactly definitely and I think you're right we definitely see that in terms of like the world of the arts like we see it a lot you know especially this past year with like a lot of artists passing away because yeah. of like, their abuse of substances and different things like that. And you have to look at the intersectionality of it as well. It's like a lot of these are young black men who grew up in areas that are underfunded, like disenfranchised. They don't have the same resources that other people have. And instead of looking at their coping mechanisms as like, oh, we need to help them create better coping mechanisms, yeah. we label them as ghetto or thugs or gangsters mm-hmm. or just like ignorant and uneducated and just whatever, yeah. instead of being like, oh no, let's help you find something positive yeah. to cope. And it's like even, it's just the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know, like for like for instance, like Juice World died this week. That, that took everybody, like that took everybody like, by surprise mm-hmm. but at the same time it didn't it's like oh well everyone knew he was like sipping lean all the time and my whole thing was like why was he though because that it's not like to make you sleepy and like drowsy and druggy like all that i think that's i'm pretty sure well because it's codeine and sprite mm-hmm. so it's like i know codeine makes you like drowsy and numb and then sprite is like a bunch of sugar mm-hmm. so like i don't even <laughs> imagine the fucking combo that is but i'm like if all these rappers and artists are killing themselves or like just dying accidentally like who 
Who is with you to tell you no? Well, like, I think... What is your support system? I think it's difficult because I, like, on a very low scale, I remember when I was at UCLA and I was going through a lot, my friends were going through a lot too. Mm-hmm. And so we thought that the way that we felt was normal because everybody around us was going through it too. That's true, And so I didn't know until I went, like, I knew that I felt off, but like I was like, my best friends feel off, like... Jan down the street feels off. Like we all feel off. As much as much as Mercury just been retrograde like two years. Yeah, like, we're yeah. like it's like we all feel bad. Yeah. So it took me going home and having my mom be like, something is wrong with you. Yeah. And so when you're in spaces where like everybody is dealing with their own thing, and like a lot of these young men and women unfortunately grow up in environments that are very harsh they see things that they shouldn't see at young ages like they're coping with a lot of trauma that they have to live with every day all of them because it's like i'm coming up i'm gonna bring all my best friends that are with me during the come up we all saw the same thing similar things Mm -hmm. and so we all cope the best way that we know how which is the way we saw the older people in our neighborhoods do it and like just because you have money doesn't mean that you automatically like have resources and have education and have the ability to like change your perspective because I think it takes a long time to shift your mindset in a way that you can acknowledge like there is more for me yeah because the black community I think at large it's like it's very isolated from the rest of the world and we look at like going to the doctor we look at going to therapists as like white people stuff yeah or as like that makes you weak and so when that's the perception that you grow up like that you have growing up it's like even when you have money you're like I'm gonna do it that like that's for those people over there yeah like I'm chill I'll figure it out yeah like it's like independence and doing things on your own is supposed to make you stronger mm-hmm. you know and I think that's so right like about black people in general just like feeling that they don't need the system to be successful mm-hmm. like if there are psychologists for you to use you should use them mm-hmm. if you need to go to the doctor you should be going to the doctor like you don't need to look at outsourcing as a sign of weakness or like you're not independent mm-hmm. it's anything it's using the resources that literally the planet provides at your service like if you have money use it to better yourself not necessarily to like hold on to it and have a party no for sure i mean it's just like the process i think of breaking generational curses is hard oh yeah and so it's like for you to be the one to do that and asking someone to be the one to do that at such a young age 21, 22, that's a big ask. It's like, I find myself trying to break generational curses now, and it's still yeah. just like, it's difficult, like, to break these mindsets that you have learned, your family has learned and ingrained for their whole lives. Yeah. Like, I think that that's real. And so, um, it's just unfortunate that sometimes we're not allotted the amount of time that we need to, you know, get to that point where yeah. we can do it. Um, but yeah, so the, the act of doing that is really difficult, and I think that's what people struggle with. Do you feel like now that racing is done and you've been able to take yourself to a more creative space, you feel more comfortable like being quote unquote vulnerable in that sense where you can't see a psychologist and you can start to break some systematical curses or anything? Um, to a certain extent. I think that I feel more free in that like I don't have to like hide what I wanna say. Like I don't have to censor what I'm yeah. Because I think that like at the end of the day I'm just like wearing myself on me as opposed to like wearing an entire university on me. Because yeah. like my biggest issue at UCLA was that I loved UCLA mm-hmm. as like an academic institution. Like it to this day is like my favorite place in the world. Like I love it for everything that it gave me. Mm-hmm. But 
like UCLA as an athletic institution was like the source of a lot of my trauma. Yeah. And so it was difficult for me to make the distinction because I was like, I want to talk about UCLA, but I don't want to talk about UCLA as a school. I want to talk about UCLA as like yeah. this entity. And I know that I understood the optics of that and how that would come across. Yeah. Um, and so now I feel free in that I can express myself and not be concerned about the optics. Yeah, what, what people can say and feel, you know. Um, but I was definitely always really open about like my experience there. Like I never tried to hide or act like I was doing okay because I wasn't. I think it's better than mad. most. I think it's better than most. Yeah, like, I was mad. scared, yeah. So I think that was the difference. Like I think sometimes people feel some type of way and they get sad and their depression is different. For me, I was angry. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you're gonna hear what I have to say because I am pissed off. I think it's something different. I think a lot of people just feel like an overwhelming amount of sadness and kind of just like, let me just hide in the closet. Mm-hmm. Let me just swallow it all in. And I think that's something black people do a lot. Just swallow everything. Definitely. You know, just like swallow all their concerns, all their traumas, and just be like, I can hustle it out myself, you know, instead of just being like, let me speak my mind and like let you know how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But we're still working on it. I think I definitely have a long ways to go before I'm at a point where I'll fully be able to articulate everything. Yeah. Um, Still coping with it. I think it takes a lot of time. Definitely. And now, like, you're, like, uh, (coughs) kind of, like, now that you're out of that whole situation, kind of out of that world, where do you see top five slash yourself within, like, the next years because we're about to like enter a new decade which is a little spooky that is spooky that's spooky as hell i can't believe it oh my god in the next three years um so i don't know top five changes all the time um so i don't know necessarily what that'll look like uh i think it, it definitely looks different now that i'm out in school because mm-hmm. it was like based at ucla and so yeah. my best friend she still goes to ucla so she's like the lead of it now um so we're trying to figure out how to like restructure it Okay. I think um, in the next three years, I definitely will still be involved in like the fight against the Good. oppressive systems. As you should. I, I expect nothing less from <laughs> Because I think that what happens and why it's such an issue is that people graduate and then they just stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I don't want to be the person, like I have a 13-year-old brother and he wants to play basketball in college. And I don't want him to have to like go play in the same place. He wants to go to UCLA. Like I don't want him to have to go and experience it in the same way that I experienced it. Yeah. Um, and so I'll definitely still be fighting a good fight. Three years, I feel like this kind of, like still kind of soon. I don't know what I'll be it doing. It is kind of soon. Like <laughs> I have no clue what I'll be doing. Like I'm absolutely. You'll have graduated college. I've graduated college. Hopefully, like I don't know. I'll still be working on my podcast. Hopefully, the talent agencies like starting slash pop. We should have a documentary done. Oh, uh, we will have a documentary done. We will have a documentary done. <laughs> we will have a documentary. Um, do you want to mention what the documentary is about? Um, it's basically about this whole conversation that we had today. Pretty much, yeah. It's about identity foreclosure. Is like the easiest way I think to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because I don't think people would like totally understand what that meant. But just enough to be a little interested. Yeah, exactly. Just enough to be like, Identity foreclosure. We're talking about yeah, Google people. it. Like, is that a house? What is that? Is that an apartment complex? I'm missing out. I think definitely people like be interested. But I'm kind of excited for you, especially just because now we've kind of got to 
to know each other a little bit more. Bianca and I have known each other for one day. I feel like we've known each other for like. I know, you're, yeah, <laughs> it's been like two days of like actually like face to face contact. It like, feels like forever. But we met at my pop up, mm -hmm. and that was fun. I feel like I meet a lot of people. I met a lot of people that day. Like, yes. Oh, hello. <laughs> I guess we're friends now. Um, and ever since then, like, Lenny has always talked to me about how, like, just dedicated you are to sports and, like, just that whole world. And, like, I love Lenny. You know, oh, we love Lenny. I have to text him back, actually. I don't think you're We love Lenny. And so, um, just kind of, and then we did the whole Candace Barker thing at Sneaker Con, which was super, super cool. Thank that was you. a fun day. Thank you. And it, it was cool to see you in your element of, like, yeah, I'm a busy bee, like, let me, like, work. You were in, like, your event planning producer mode. Yes. And it was so that. cool, because I, I talked to my mom, and I was like, dude, I feel like Jasmine is so successful. Like, the way she talks to people that she's never met, like, that's crazy. <laughs> the way she can just, like, you, you have this, like, ability to make everyone around you feel comfortable. Oh, and, thank you. And on the same level as you, too. Like, you could talk to someone that's, like, a CEO, and they'll be like, Hey, homie. Like, they, they, they won't. They, it almost feels like anyone you speak to can be on your level and they'll feel comfortable. Thank you. You know? So I thought that was really cool just to watch you work on, like, this weekend. She's a while ago. She's just, like, <laughs> she's moving around, talking to everyone. She's yes. got a little pen in her hand. Like, she's just running around. Um, but I'm excited for, like, I guess you say not three years, next five years. Because I think what will be in 2025 which is crazy. That'll be weird. <laughs> five more years to 2030, which will be really weird. Um, I'm just excited to kind of see where we take the things that we're currently passionate about and seeing how that either completely changes or it continues, you know, like just even the conversations we have, like, yeah, we'll have a dock out, we'll have this, like, it's just kind of crazy to see where they'll go and how they'll grow up. Because who, who, who posted this on Twitter? I feel like it was Future. I don't know. Someone. <laughs> Our prophet. Our prophet. Future Andrews. <laughs> Someone said, maybe Future, I'm sure you said it before, uh, it only takes one year to change your life. Meek Mill. Oh, it was Meek Mill. <laughs> wow. That's true. I think like when I think it's hard for me to think that far in advance because yeah, like when I first moved out here, I thought I was going to the Olympics. Like my life, I never, yeah. ever, 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 ever could have imagined that like this is what it was like. So I'm kind of just like taking it in stride every day. Like I have goals, I have things that I want to do, but it's more to me about like moving with intention towards something uh, yeah. and then letting it kind of fall into place. And not really tying yourself down to any one idea just because it's like, okay, dude, you wanted to be in the Olympics four years ago. Yeah. I wanted to be in the Olympics two years ago. Oh shit, exactly. Like, and look at now, like, yeah. You're not in the Olympics. I'm not. <laughs> and I don't want to. I don't, don't want to ever touch a running shoe again. Yeah, like, you don't <laughs> want to be there. So it's just crazy to see, like, just in two years, how much your life has changed and how your perspective of what you thought you wanted literally did like a complete illegal Yui. Yeah. Like, no, illegal as hell. An illegal as hell <laughs> Yui. Like just completely just like completely turned around and it's not a bad thing. Because your life is so much better now. Like you are clearing your mind of a lot of negative thoughts and just like entering the world of like prayer and like self-realizations and kind of just like focusing on you and that's exciting I think people will take hopefully they'll listen to this and be like well Jasmine had a plan and even though her plan completely changed she's always consistently moved forward into just her goals of what mediums she can
pass off the Olympics and still be like somewhat sport related. You still, for sure. You still love sports. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like for sure. I think for me, it's like the biggest thing is like I've I never, and I don't know if this is a strength or a weakness, but I've never been able to be anything other than what I am. Dude. Like ever. Like in any situation. I am never able to not be myself. Even when I am trying to, it comes across as hella corny because it's just like, it's really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. So like my advice, I guess, if anyone wants it, not that I like have done shit, but like... <laughs> you have more than the average. Maybe, I don't know. My advice would be though, to like be really, you don't have to do things the way that everybody tells you to do them. So it's like, I've, I think the difference between me and a lot of other people is that I just like always bet on myself. Because I know I'm always going to figure it out and I'm always going to have it. So like, I don't know what my plan is going to be, but I know that if I just keep betting on myself and betting on my intuition and betting on my discernment and betting on my God, that like, it's, it's going to work out because that's just what it's going to do. Like, yes. I have no choice but to. Yes, I fucking <laughs> love that. That's exactly, I love that. I think that's how we have to end it because I think that was just too perfect. Period. Period. That's just too perfect. It's just too perfect. But wow, so glad I got to like, dive into this topic with you me too i know we like talked about talking about it but now that we like did it i feel like i know so much more about you i'm even like oh my god you've <laughs> been through it oh my goodness you know we all have though but i'm glad i feel like a lot of people will be able to relate to you so i always do this in the episode i name the episode while it's going okay so i've been i thought about two names since we've been talking okay um a one-legged table or there's like maybe someone's like there's no such thing as a one-legged table that's a good one I feel like it's a little long um, what was the other one? Oh no, do you have one? Like a bar from what I said today? Yeah, basically. I wrote a poem yesterday called A Thousand and One. Ooh, I've already named on that. Oh, that's interesting. What was it about? It was my one of my first episodes. Um, it was kind of just about like, there's there can be 10,000 people doing what you're doing, but no one doesn't like you, so... I think I'll like one of ten. Oh, that, okay, so my poem yesterday was about how every day of my life, I feel like I've lived 20 lives, and so it was like... Okay, the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, so it was like... So I, I always tell my psychologist, I'm like, I feel like I've lived a thousand lives before this. Damn. And so like, this is a thousand lives. That's like really insightful, it's not as like... I know, deep as shit, like, okay. <laughs> that's unrelated to the episode, but that's the first thing that came to my mind because I wrote, that's what I named my poem yesterday. You said another one. I'm not sure. I kind of think you should do something with a table. I like the whole like one legged table. Just name situation. it one legged table. One legged table. All right, one legged table. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.